Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, second year psych child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Dr. Parks. And we have a special treat joining us today is Dr. Alan Atkins. He's a second year psychiatry resident. He worked with children in the foster system before attending medical school at Brown University. And he currently leads a research team investigating wilderness therapy as an alternative to mass incarceration. Hi, Alan. Hi. At wilderness therapy, that sounds really interesting. I feel like we should maybe do a show uh, on that in the future, what do you think? I think that is uh, that's a good plan. Yeah, and, and really, and really uh, timely. This uh, alternative to mass incarceration. Yeah, that sounds like it's very timely in, in these times. Yeah, and in, in, in its era, in its era of, of people getting arrested for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California UC Riverside's. Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Okay, well, on today's show, we're going to talk about conversion therapy. And it's also, if you haven't heard of that, it's also called things like reorientation therapy or um, reparative therapy. It's basically the idea that you can change someone's sexual orientation through um, a psychological treatment program. Um, now, this has gone through, it's, there's many different kind of ways, and it's gone through different iterations, but we're going to kind of talk about it. Um, there's been some of, of this issue in the news. For example, the UN is calling for a global ban. Um, the, California was the first state to ban it in 2012, and right now there's 18 states plus the District of Columbia that ban it. 20 states ban it for minors. Um, and also something that happened recently, someone that um, founded a conversion therapy program that was called a Hope for a Wellness Network. It was faith-based. McCray Game, he's 51 years old, he um, quit. And he, after 20 years, he realized that he did a lot of harm and he realized that he himself is gay. So that's kind of some some things that happened recently. But we're gonna kind of get into- What was his name? McCray Game. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, and you know, th- and there's various different ways. Another one is Exodus. There's a, there's a program called Exodus, also faith faith based. Oh, is that one in LA? I think I've heard of that one. It's it's one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Um, I, I but I want to kind of also kind of weave our own personal stories a little bit, maybe just not only in clinical practice, but. Um, when did you all know for sure of your sexual orientation? Like, how old were you? And was there any kind of um, events that kind of settled it for you? And I, just to make, I don't want to make people feel, don't share anything that you're not comfortable sharing. <laughs> okay. um, I feel out of responsibility since I, I, I asked this question, but I'm, so I'm going to just volunteer. And, you, and Yeah, you go yeah. ahead, Dr. Parks. <laughs> you go ahead and walk that plank. <laughs> Um, Share away. Okay, so I would say it was kindergarten. So, I, you know, five years old. I had feelings. It wasn't sexual. I had feelings for another girl in class. Um, crush on her. Now, a, a, one of my best friends, though, also did. And I discovered them kissing in the bathroom. And I Ooh. felt pain. 
I felt Aww. crushed, like jealous. <laughs> Little baby Dr. Parks. <laughs> baby, baby Dr. Parks was feeling pain and, um, <laughs> and perhaps jealousy, but mostly pain. And so, um, and then I was like, oh, that's not good. Now, years later, I thought, huh, that is disturbing because these two people were French kissing in the bathroom. Would that bother you? That bothers me. At six years old? Yeah. That's the part that bothers yeah, you? Five, yeah, five years old. It's a little, yeah. It's a little much. Yeah. So I'm thinking, were one of them molested? That's just my. That's where my mind goes. I was thinking, there's something inappropriate, sexual, something going on. I think. I think kids at that age just mirror like things that they see, and kids at that age can see all sorts of things. Like, first of all, their parents kissing, um, things on TV. Yeah. I'm not surprised. But they that know they're it's inappropriate. Kissing. They're in the bathroom. That's like very much. I feel like if that was a board exam question, that would be like, oh, they're modeling sexual behavior, like call a child. It protection. happened more than once. I have to say that because later it was just out in the open. I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say, right? I, but okay, so yeah. you can. This is the moment. I think that's something kids would see very. And they can just mimic it. TV and movies. That's fair. Uh, Especially yeah. with yeah, TV is versus cray. like touching genitals. I think that would be different. Yeah. Okay. So, so Dr. Parks had, had mentioned that he was going to out himself in terms of his first experience. And, and I think, you know, we don't have super fascinating experiences um, to share with how we came out or, or kind of realized our sexual orientation because we're all um, straight and cis at the moment on, on the, the people who happen to be on the show right now. But I do think something that's worth noting about I would suppose all of our finding out our sexual orientation, but definitely mine, which was a sort of similar to the story Dr. Parks told of just like having a kindergarten girlfriend, is we didn't actually find out our sexual orientation because we didn't know, we didn't have to know what a sexual orientation was because you only have to know that if you're not straight. And we didn't, it didn't, it wasn't like, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm straight. It was like, oh, I like a woman and there's nothing, um, there's no alternative that occurs to me because we live in a really heteronormative world. True. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's really safe for me to tell tell you my story of when I knew I was heterosexual. Um mm. Yeah, yeah, and if you you know they talk often talk in spectrum as far as spectrum, like you know that people have varying degrees closer to the homosexual side or to the same sex uh, or heterosexual side or or um, gay and lesbian side, same sex side. So you know this there's this idea of spectrum and of, uh, of as far as like what you what and who you're attracted to, um, which it does factor into some of the studies and and trying to change. Because how you assess it is really important. How you assess what success is in some of these conversion therapy programs is important too. Is it about behavior? You know, because a lot of um, you know priests, uh, you know, don't engage in homosexual behavior, but they have, you know, they after they leave the priesthood, then they'll share that they they did have sexual feelings, same sex sexual feelings. So what is it? Behavior is, is it? Fantasy? Is this like a study or? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's just how to assess it correctly, and it, it does it, it does bear. No, I mean about the priests. How do you know that about the priests? 
Well, I, I just going to say that that does happen quite a bit. People drop out of the priesthood because they have sexual feelings or they don't want to, um, they can't stay true to their, you know, their calling or whatnot. Um, There's actually a whole section about that in, I think it was the, I was just looking over the Wikipedia entries on the different like histories of gay conversion therapy. And there was a whole section about the ex-clergy. Now, because of the damaging impact, I mean, we, let's talk about why this is important to know and, and what kinds of, uh, what, how did they first try this? You know, because you're right, Alan, you, we, we are in a society, it's very uh, heteronormative and there's strong prescriptions against homosexuality. Uh, so, you know, some of these first therapies where it would involve things like electric shock. Um, you know, did, right. let's talk a little bit about that and why it did lead to ultimately in 1997, American Psychological Association passed a resolution against this type of therapy. So I, I'm a big fan of embarrassing moments in medicine. I think it helps us as physicians, but as allied health in general, be humble and so often I think there's this incredulousness. Um, I think we'll get to this actually when we do our episode on anti-vaccine folks. There's this incredulousness in the medical profession, like how could you doubt us? And well, here's how someone could doubt us. In the 1940s, um, more than 3,000 patients had were, were, quote, treated for homosexuality with ice pick lobotomies by a person who had no formal surgical training. Yuck. So let me state that correctly. How do you know lobotomies were used for homosexuality? I, I did not know that. I did not either until today. So, right. so greater than 3,000 patients were given lobotomies just by this one guy. Now, there may have been other people doing it too. He toured the country doing this. And, and they were used for all kinds of things. But 40% of the lobotomies that were done were done for the diagnosis. I say that with quotes around it. Um, of homosexuality. That is and, crazy. I did not know that. That's amazing. What's your citation for this? Uh, I don't have, I didn't write it down, but I think we could easily hear, I can actually Google it right now. I think it's pretty. Yeah. And then, um, you know, in the, know. in the sixties, um, Feldman and McCullough, they had a, this negative based, uh, negative reinforcement based program where they would um, at shock people uh, until they were pressing a switch that turned off pictures of, uh, you know, the sexually explicit pictures of men. And then also then exposed yeah. them to pictures of women to try to get them to associate lusting after pictures of men led to electrical shock. Um, right. So this kind of has to do with what you were saying about measurements of success, Right. Like, how do you know it's successful? Is it because they're saying that they're straight or because they're not partaking in any? Yeah, and it really it really becomes a huge issue because, of, like you might have heard in the news, most of these programs, they're not actual clinical programs, especially now because, you know, most of them have been outlawed. But even back, back a little while ago, um, you know, years ago before they started outlawing these things, it was, a lot of them were religious-based. So when they've actually studied this. So in one study they found that the number one intervention were things like prayer, 
Um, that was the number one intervention. 78% reported that that's what was used. Then things like education, counseling, and then Bible study was also used, 62.8%. Group counseling, sure, yeah. gender skills training, and 11.5% said that they were actually exposed to um, explicit you know, pornography, heterosexual you know, pornography. So for the men, it would be um, pornography of women, things like that. And then 7% said, yeah, they had aversive treatments, which is the things I just said. So it could be electric shock or it could be um, a, 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 a odorous kind of smells. That try, again, and, and not just, yeah, and, and not just aversive treatments. So, so moving on and, and just to go back to that former one, um, just, just the, the name of the person, um, the, the article I think is called The Lobotomist, A Maverick Medical Genius and His Tragic Quest to Rid the World of Mental Illness. Um, I think it's interesting he's called a medical genius. I'm not sure I would call him that. But uh, moving on a little bit forward in time from 1940 to 1953, this is particularly uh, embarrassing for me because it was at my alma mater for undergrad, which was Tulane. Um, Dr. Robert Heath... This may or may not have been part of the MK Ultra series of experimentations on humans that went on for, I think, like 30 years. Mm. Um, but this was a person was arrested for marijuana possession. And under legal duress, they were basically forced to undergo DBS. And that DBS is, is what we call um, deep brain stimulation. So that's when, and it's done in the medical field with a lot of success for certain things. So we put needles deep into certain areas of the brain and we we give the brain an electrical stimulus and just for for people here who may not be in the medical profession who are listening that can sort of trigger certain um circuits in the brain or cause certain brain activity that wouldn't be caused otherwise but this person dr robert heath in the 50s was using this technology way before it was really safe on a person under legal duress um, delivering shocks to an area called the septal nuclei while having them watch heterosexual porn. And the idea was to try to trigger the like addiction pleasure centers while having them watch porn in the effort to make them straight. This was not, this person had not come asking to be straight. Um, and then later encouraged, they recruited a prostitute for the study and they encouraged him to have sex with the prostitute um, the study was later reported not to actually be successful. At first they reported it to be successful and later they reported not only was it not successful, the, the person, I mean, and, and I even take issue with calling it successful based on that metric, but it would, the person was reported to have, um, compulsive behaviors later that were, they were not happy about and, uh, their, their overall mental health declined. Obviously it wasn't, it was not good news. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about conversion therapy in which uh, a, a therapy that's been banned in 20 states. It's a therapy in which you purport to change the person's sexual orientation, and it's usually homosexuality or same-sex sexuality to uh, heterosexuality through various psychological uh, programmatic methods. In the early days, we just talked about things like, uh, like electrical shocks and um, lobotomies, which is terrifying, um, electrical stimulation, deep brain electrical stimulation. Um, you know, and then we all, I, I kind of want to, um, you know, uh, identify, uh, just talk a little bit, sorry, this is a little bit. So 
you know, this, this issue of trying to uh, stimulate the pleasure center of the brain. Was there any success whatsoever in doing that? that now I'm just kind of curious because it seems like that would be something that has been studied a lot. It they seems like they would try it one success. time and it wouldn't work. I mean, no. Yeah, they, they, I mean, well, so these things are famous. Uh, the, the things I've heard about over and over in medical education is, is like they have, they can find these areas in rats and then they have rats press the button that delivers the yeah. pleasurable stimulus. No, and then the rats like neglect their little rat families just to press the button over and over. And it's, right. it's a powerful addiction model. They did see something like that with this patient. They said that the the, the, what they claimed was that the patient had their first pleasurable heterosexual uh, experiences. And it sounds like it not only was it their first, but it was their last. And they also noted that they were sort of impressed that after being discontinued, the patient didn't try to seek out the continued stimulation by the electrodes as as we've sometimes seen pictured in popular media about these kind of things where the patient ends up like breaking into the hospital because they're so addicted to that stimulation um it did mention something about the patient having like a leftover compulsive sexual masturbatory behavior oh, or something Lord. like that so but really I, I didn't permanently damage this person i think that's right mm -hmm. i didn't read that part as carefully well, okay, and so um, I also want to kind of just go back one. This is one, one of the th questions you asked, Tosha, was why why is how is the issue of success and how they define it important? Um, mm -hmm. Because because a lot of these are religious based. There there's a whole community that these folks uh, typically a lot of times these folks emerge from. They're they grow up in religious uh, kind of environments and households. They're they're told or they're instructed that this is wrong. And so then when they seek therapy, it's usually within a religious context from a, from a religious institution. And they have a whole support, quote, support network that encourages this and is pressuring and influencing them to declare themselves cured or declare themselves heterosexual. And, you know, there's a strong social reward for doing that. So, you know, uh, there is actually one positive study and, they, and these um, folks wrote a book, actually, um, later, uh, in which they uh, purport that 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 they, uh, the one of the programs that Exodus uh, did did lead to some success. It was like 23% did lead to conversion, and then um, there didn't seem to be lasting da psychological damage. But but in reading a critique, there's a, um, a psychologist Warren Throckmorton that uh, I read his critique also, that, and he he gave a lot of um, good insight that. You know, what do you, how do you define success? So if someone is declaring themselves and that's part of success or they're saying, you know, obviously you can't, there's a lot you can't check, then is that success? I can see someone declaring that. And, you know, really right. at the top of the program, we talked about, um, you know, a McRae game uh, declaring this and running a program for 20 years and then saying, mm -hmm. no, I'm not, I'm not cured, I am gay. You know, so... I, I think that really seriously calls into question the effectiveness of this study. And again, if you're, if, if, if it's behavior, then um, you can you can do things to to stop interacting with another man. It's very similar to uh, kind of like the Catholic Church. You might be gay, but don't do anything. Don't act on it. You know, you might have these thoughts right. or things, but don't act on it. And then you can say, I mean, there's tons of men walking around or women walking around right now who are gay, and you know they're in the closet. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, under duress, I would probably say that too. 
I, I, I uh, recently had a... Especially um, instead of getting a lobotomy. Yeah. Oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah, if that's the alternative, like, it's pretty clear what you're doing. Um, I recently had one of the medical students that I work with teach me a little bit about the situation with homosexuality in Iran. And apparently, ever since the Shah's time in Iran, there is an interesting thing where being gay is not allowed. And I, I remember Ahmadinejad right, yeah. during his talk at Columbia, he said, he said, oh, gayness, that's a problem that we don't have over here. But what's interesting is that they have a provision for apparently, and uh, of course, I'm probably going to not be exactly accurate here, but I'm reading from what he, he wrote to me. Um, Ayatollah Khomeini um, apparently stated that it's possible for God to make a mistake on gender and so it's permissible to transition. And so all the people who, it's like you can be gay, but if you want to be gay, and if you really want to be gay in Iran, You're you have to transition gender? and become transgender. And if you oh, don't, what? you can be really seriously punished or maybe even killed for being gay. But if you transition, I think it's like, I think it's like subsidized by the state. Whoa. And wow. um, I don't know for sure if it's subsidized, but it's definitely allowed. And it has to be a full transition. Wow. Why do you think they were okay with transgenderism and not? Apparently, God can make a mistake on your gender, but not your sexual orientation. And the idea that it's a mistake that has to be corrected also. But like, is there anything? Because you've studied the Quran. Like, you. Not enough to. Oh, man. This is way. I mean, this is also one guy's interpretation. This is not right, at all. Right, right, right. But is there anything, like, anything about that that could make. I don't. I'm not qualified it's to. It's just to know. this guy. State, yeah, that's state the interesting thing. Transition there. Transition. Um, you know, uh, you know, surgery, state sanctioned, state yeah. recommended. To be and what years is this? Like what, what decade? What, what this is recent. Is? I mean, Ayatollah Khomeini is, I believe, still currently advising the mm. uh, head of state of Iran. He's, he's kind of oh the God. background leader. And um, yeah, but I do hear here, I have it confirmed that both Iran and Saudi do execute gay people. So this is really like, mm -hmm. you wow. know, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place here. You have to try these try a surgery out that may or may not be right wow. for you or die for expressing love oh in the way that you God. feel it. Yeah, you are you are enlightening <laughs> yeah. us alan with a lot of really yeah, interesting things i've awesome. never heard of that well have you guys heard of homosexual ocd i have not what is that okay so this is something that i've seen online it's something that patients um not my patients. My patients haven't asked me about it, but I've had I've talked to other residents and they've had patients ask them about it. So this is something like lay people know about. Um, it's online, but it's not part of our, it's not part of psychiatry or psychology. It's not part of the DSM, but um, it in the DSM under OCD. There. And why don't you just say what the DSM is real fast? Oh, we we've talked about. Well, okay. it's. It's the big <laughs> diagnostic book for psychiatrists. Right. Diagnose yes. people, give people diagnoses. So in that, it, you know, outlines the criteria of OCD, but it doesn't say anything about uh, sexuality, like obsessions about sexuality. And that's what homosexual OCD is purporting to, to be about. Obsessions about being a different sexuality, of having a different sexuality from the one that you personally identify with. And most, like, overwhelmingly, it's people who believe that they are straight but worry that they are gay 
and it's usually men. Um, you guys haven't you guys haven't heard of this? I, I have not heard of that, but you know what? I have had many clients that have said that that they've been okay. worrying about, and I then I I don't know about you all, but then one thing I think of is is this person gay? And so I do right think about that, and I ask them different kinds of questions about in, in, in trying to assess this. Right. So um, there's different ways to think about it as a clinician. Like one is this person just struggling coming out you know is this just pathology of like how stressful it is to come out or is this you know an ocd type of obsession where it's not um it's not egocentric, it's ego dystonic meaning that it's not something that they actually identify with but um they have they they like know that it logically doesn't make sense it doesn't speak to, it just doesn't resonate with them but they can't help but have this concern this obsession um, yeah, and really, if it's OCD, a lot, you know, you, you, you and I know where we've treated clients where there's an OCD about murdering someone close to them. They actually don't want to murder people close to them, but they have this obsession of murdering someone close to them, like strangling right, them exactly. or stabbing them exactly. or something. And it's very disturbing to the person and to everyone around them. But they don't, mm-hmm. they don't actually, there's no like hidden desire to want to kill the person. It, you know, you can't think of it as psychodynamically or psychoanalytically. You can't think, oh, there's like this death instinct that they, or they, they just actually have this hidden anger because something they did as a child. It's not that. It's not that. It's, it's, it's yeah. OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain diagnostic tests that are more, uh, that in which a positive value is more accurate in areas where there's more of that um, thing. And the way I would apply this here, or the way I would, imagine that this may apply here is like in a place like Iran where you're really not allowed to be gay I imagine that many of the people who suffer from something like HOCD the homosexual OCD are indeed gay because so many of them are not allowed to be gay in a place like Mm -hmm. California where the costs of being gay while still high because of you know institutionalized homophobia are much less I would imagine that and, you know, more, more of the people that have it are, are simply, you know, going through some interesting, maybe internalized homophobia and maybe just some phenomenon we don't understand. And then you could even look at like, okay, and how does that play out in like maybe the, the evangelical deep south, let's say, where like um, every little thought that comes into your head that might not be, um, that might be, that might feel a little bit gay. And I think we're all a little bit, uh, bold, we're, you know, we're all on a spectrum of, of sexuality. But let's say like every time you have a thought like that, you think it's the devil sneaking thoughts into your head or you're kind of tracking it. Yeah, there's a, a lot of where this comes from is, is religious based. But it's also just, yeah, our society, um, because, you know, the the um, APA, American Psychiatric and American Psychological Association, looked at it as a disorder back back a long time ago until, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 70s, early 70s. Um, but also like looking at it as a moral failing or at like a like I think now because of religion is, is looking looking at it as a, as a kind of a, of a like an sexual immorality that's where a lot of this coming from from so yeah it does depend on the particular area that you're at. Uh, so these these people coming into the office with concerns that they're gay they actually spend a lot of time watching gay porn to test themselves and see if they have some sort of physical reaction to it. 
see if they find it pleasurable. Like they're doing these tests at home. (laughs) It's kind of like when you eat a chip and you're like, this tastes weird. I don't think I like this, but give me another one. I have to make sure, you know, and then you end up like, that's part of like, this is kind of (laughs) good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes into like part of the OCD sort of pathology of like, they're obsessively watching gay porn. Yeah, and, and who That's knows where, where they fall on the spectrum. They could be 80, 20, you know, 80% yeah. hetero, like they, 20%. They have to constantly check, like, am I gay now? Am I gay yeah, now? Am I responding to it now? Am I responding, you know? Well, yeah, I can totally see that. That's a really disturbing that. way to live. Yes, I can totally see yeah. that that happens. Now, I yeah. have seen folks that do not want to be their sec- current sexual orientation, or they, they had an experience that they... They say, help me not be like this. I don't want to be like this, or I don't want to have these feelings. I don't want this to be true, or I don't know. Yeah. I've had, I, I feel like I've had more of those. I've had more folks that say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gay, straight, bisexual, whatever. And so, you know, so I don't know about you, so what, what are you, what, how do you handle that? One of the, some of the questions I ask them is, tell me about your sexual development, your early experiences, what you fantasize during masturbation, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, what you dream about. Have you ever had a sexual dream? And who, who, who are you dreaming of? You know, and sometimes people will say both. Both sexes. I've had pleasurable, I could feel pleasure uh, in the dream from either or both, which is very interesting. But, you know, but a lot of times they don't want to be bisexual, of course. You know, that's why they're right. coming to me. Uh, bisexual is kind of the new, well, I don't know if it's, it's a new stigma, but I think it's an increasing, and a stigma people have a cr- increasing awareness about that there's this whole anti-bisexual sentiment that comes from both the straight folks and the gay folks and i think we also need to think about it as a spectrum like you don't have to be like fully bisexual or fully heterosexual or homosexual absolutely and that's going to do it for us here on let's get psyched today we talked about conversion therapy and um, some of the 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 damage that it's caused um and uh, some of the the recent um, goings on as far as um, the un calling for a worldwide ban Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshio Yamaguchi, and special guest co-host, Dr. Alan Hackins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer, at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. 